Hey, good morning, good morning. Um, today's daf is daf yud. Today's shirzli I'm going to go from the new parak which starts um, at the bottom of Tesamud Bay's 9b, towards the bottom. Um, so this parak discusses what you do with the shkolim. Uh, what you can buy with the shkolim. But now remember, there are different aspects to the shekel. There's the actual... So remember, there was the whole, the lishka, the chamber where they put all the collected shkolim. And then those they would take and put into the baskets. So first we're going to discuss, obviously, what you do with the money they put in the baskets. Those shkolim, the actual, that would be the actual trumas hashkolim, the truma, the trumas halishka, the coins that you separate from the chamber. Those are actually primary shkolim. But then we're also going to have to discuss... What do you do with Shiurei Halishka? The coins that were left in the um, in the chamber. I remember the primary use of the Shkolim was to buy the communal offerings. So if you bought all the communal offerings and there's still coins left in that room, what do you do with them? That's the, one, that's the other aspect we're going to discuss. Another aspect we're going to discuss is what do you do... Um, even after those normal uses of the coins that were left in the lishka, what happens if they were still left over? What would you do with them? And then even another one is, what do you do with the coins left over in the baskets? Right, let's say you filled up the baskets with coins and you had more than enough. So what do you do with that? And we're also going to see in the next Mishnah, I don't remember if it's the next Mishnah or two Mishnahs time, but we'll see it today, is uh, a discussion what's called Moisar Paperos. The leftover payros. But we'll see what to do with that a bit later in the dark. So first thing we're going to discuss is what do you do with the actual truma, with the shkolim that you take from the chamber and you put in the basket. So truma, mayu oisimbo, what would they do with the truma? Loichin bot midimumusafim. They would buy the daily offerings, the musaf offerings. Remember the additional kabbalas that you bring on Rosh Chodesh, the festivals, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, um, Shabbos, etc. Veniske hem. And their accompanying libations. Nesech literally means a libation, but with many, many korbonos, um, you would bring a mincha offering, a flower offering, and a wine libation. So that's what we refer to the niskehem. Ha'oimer, the omer offering. That's the first barley. The lechem, the two wheat, the loaves, the lechem offering. That's the special offering of shavuos, of wheat. The lechem aponim, and the Showbread. Remember, that's the 12 loaves that they made every week. The Kol Karbonos HaTzibur and all communal offerings. Now, what's that coming to include? So that's coming to include the Ketores, certain Yom Kippur offerings, um, the wood for the, and if they needed more wood for the base up for the Mizbech, etc. Those were all included in Karbonos HaTzibur. They would also pay those who guard the grain in the Shemitah year. I'll discuss that shortly. Let's just finish the Mishnah. Those who guard the growths in the Shemitah year would also take payment from the Lishka. Even those who, even if he wants misnadev shomer chinam, he can do it voluntarily. He doesn't have to be paid to be a god. He can do it voluntarily. So Omrulah, 
they said to him, but you agree that it has to come from communal funds, so how can you allow, allow that? So let's go back one step and discuss um, what is the Shomrei Sifichim Beshvirs. This that they used to, those who used to guard the aftergrowths in Shvirs. So remember, in the Shemitah year, all the fields are Hefker. And based in need, some grain, some of the new grain that grew in the Shemitah year for their, for their Omer offering. That's what the, the Omer offering has to come from the brand new, from the new grain that year. So how do they do that? They would get someone to guard it. They would pay him to watch. Yeah, this is for the Omer and the Shdalechem. Um, and those guards would be paid from the Truma's Halishka. The reason they could get paid from the Truma, from the Shkolim, is because it's essential to the offering. If they didn't do this, then there would be no offering because anyone could remember all the grain in the Shemitah year or everything that grows is hefker, ownerless. And therefore, anyone could come and take any grain. And remember, there's not that much grain growing because no one plants in the Shemitah year. So it's all um, after growth, anything that just grows in the field almost naturally um, from a little bit of what got left behind at the end of last year. Um, so there's not that much and they worried that there wouldn't be any new grain for the Omer of the Shtar Lechem. So they would pay someone to guard it. Now there's an interest, there's a Machloik as we see the Tanakama holds he has to be paid. And Rabbi Yossi is concerned that he um, will not be paid. Um, the concern... Why, why would there be a machlokes whether this guy who says, you know, I'll watch the grain, I'll watch this field and all the aftergrowth so that you can use it for the Omer Ashtar why should he be, have to be paid or why should he not have to be paid? So the reason to say he has to be paid is because we, it has to be a communal grain. And if he does it on his own volition, on his, as a donation, he says, you know, I'll watch this field for you, it kind of becomes his wheat, his grain. Or if it's for the Omer, his barley. And therefore, when he, you have to make sure, will he give it over to the community wholeheartedly? Because if he keeps some of his, I guess, vested interest, some of his rights in it, then it's not a communal offering and it couldn't be used. So Rabbi Yossi says he can. And the Chachamim say, um, and the Chachamim say he can't. I again, I'll concern, the Tanakama's concern why you have to pay him to guard it on behalf of the community is in case he doesn't give it over, yoffe yoffe, wholeheartedly. Um, and then it turns out that the offering's from him, not from the community. Now, in Tanis, just before we go into this new, so now the, the Gemara is going to discuss this concept of own, almost owning, um, yeah, um, the Gomorrah is going to come on now, is going into a discussion of if there's something that's privately owned, can it be given to the community? Do we assume that, can it be transferred to the communal funds? Do we assume that it's given wholeheartedly and therefore it becomes the community's? Or do we assume that the person who gives it kind of holds his rights on it? You know, when you're going to shul and you see the thing that you donated, you're always like, oh, that's, that's kind of mine. That's what I donated. I donated that shtender. I should get first rights to use it. Or that, that sort of mindset, even though you donated it to the shul, we're still concerned about that mindset. So that's what the Gemara is going to discuss now. Um, to kick off the discussion, it starts with the Gemara in Tanis, which discusses 
um, there were nine families who donated wood to the Mizbah when they first when they first went back to build the second temple. There were nine families who provided the wood for the Mizbah. And even though anyone could donate wood for the Mizbah, these families were given special credit. Their wood was used first. And it was actually the anniversary of them donating the wood to the Mizbah was considered a special celebration. So let's just go into that now. It says, see the need to list the non-families that donated wood. The reason is because when the Jews went up from the exile into building the second temple of and they didn't find any wood in the chamber. And these families donated their own wood. And they gave them to the community. And that's what they used to offer the communal offerings. Oh, now the morals of a hot tanu imohem the vim shebe. Yeah, sorry, the hisnu imohem the vim shebe nayem. The prophets in those days made a condition. Shafilu lishka melea eitzim. Even if the wood chamber is filled with wood. One of these nine families come and donate more wood. Their wood is used first um, before all the other wood. So that's a special thing, a special, I guess, gift opportunity that was given to them because of their gener- generosity when they rebuilt the second temple and they couldn't find any wood. These families made sure that there was wood. Now, but either way, what do we see from here? Why is this relevant to our discussion? We see their private donation of wood can become considered the communities. So Zomar of Achad, the Rebbe Yosohi, this must be Rebbe Yosi. Even a private individual can do his service, offer his service to the base of Midash voluntarily. I, Rabbi Yosi, that's Rabbi Yosi of our Mishnah, assumes that you can transfer. We, we trust someone to transfer something wholeheartedly from being their personal possession or their personal work to be communal. Rabbi Yosi, B'Shem Rabbi Laya, different. Amora says, no, Tivra Kolhi. This actually fits in everyone. Ma pligin b'kufa shel korban. Aval b'makshire korban. Kol amamoidi shuhu mishtane korban yochi l'koban sibur. He says, no. This, everyone would actually agree to this mission in Tanis. It's not specifically Rabbi Yosi. Because when is this argument, do we assume, do we trust that the person's given it over wholeheartedly? That's specifically with the korban itself. The wood is... Machshire korban, it's in the preparation of a korban, it's an auxiliary to the korban. There we tr- allowed to use something from a private individual. Now the Gemara is going to bring us support for this. Tani Levana. If a woman makes a, a linen, white linen garment, either one thing is for her son, the coin goddle, kosher, it's kosher, vilvachent is meren or letzibur, as long as she donates it to the community. Either the kohanim's clothes had to be communal. But if his mother decides to make it for her son, we trust that she's giving it over wholeheartedly. Now again, um, that at, at least that's at least because it's not an offering itself; it's auxiliary. What does it come out? Rabbi Acha would say this is specifically Rabbi Yosi because. Rabbi Yossi is the one who holds. We trust someone's private donation to be considered 
communal. Rabbi Yosef Rosh Hashem Rabbi Yosef Rosh would say that Mishnah actually ties in with everyone's opinion. Where do we find there's an argument whether we trust someone to transfer something that they privately owned into communal property? But go for Shilkorban with the Korban itself. With the auxiliary things to the Korban call Amamoidi, everyone agrees. We can take this, that this private donation becomes communal. Now, interestingly, so where we're standing at the moment, Rabbi Yossi B'Shem Rabbi Lai has made an interesting distinction. He said that if you have something that is an actual Korban, that's an argument, Tanakama and Rabbi Yossi and Al Mishnah, whether it can be given from private to communal, do we trust that it's been given wholeheartedly? But if it's machshire, if it's auxiliary to the korbanos, to that service in the temple, then we do trust that it's given over wholeheartedly and you can use it. So he's made this distinction between an actual korban and something auxiliary to the korban. So Manisin, Pligal, Rabbi Yosi, well, we have the following Mishnah which argues on this teaching of Rabbi Yosin. It says, Oisana Yomim Noigem Korban, Korban. These non families, who had who donated wood, as I said on the day, the anniversary of their donation, they used to treat it like a Yom Tov. And it says that Yom Tov was relevant whether it was during the Beis HaMikdash or even after the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Yossi, Oimer, Korban Bilvad. Rabbi Yossi says, no, it's only applicable when there is an actual Korban. But for us, whether or not it is limited to the time of the Beis HaMikdash or not, when the Beis HaMikdash is built or not, we see that both hold it is a Yom Tov. Now, would it really be considered a Yom Tov if they just donated something auxiliary to the temple? We see many sources that on the day that you bring a Korban, you treat it as a Yom Tov. That's one of the reasons um, we don't do Malach on Erev Pesach. I mean, this year it was harder to see because Erev Pesach was... Um, Erev Pesach was um, Shabbos. But generally, even on a regular Erev Pesach, there are many things you're not supposed to do, at least from midday onwards... Because it's a Yom Tov. Why? Because you bring a Korban. So if their donation, their wood donation counted as a Korban, it makes sense why they would keep it as a Yom Tov. But if you say that their wood donation is just considered auxiliary to the Korbanos, why would they make that day of their, the anniversary or the day of their donation an actual Yom Tov? So, so that's one thing that seems to say that the wood was considered an actual donation. Or an act, Sorry, the wood, the donating the wood was considered an actual korban. And in a way it is. It, could be, it was burnt on the Mizbeach like a korban. Um, so that's one thing again saying that everyone would agree that we can see from the wood that if you're donating something auxiliary to the temple, we take it from a, a private individual can donate it for the community. The wood, no, we don't see that from here because the wood is actually considered a korban. Says Vaad Minato, and further from the following, Tatanya we learned in a Braisa, Omarabi Elazo, Rabbi Barabi Tarok, Onya Yunumivne Sino Ben Binyomim. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Tarok says, We were from the family of Sinai, who was from the tribe of Binyomin, one of these nine families, the Khaltish Bablios, and their special day. When was their Yom Tov? When was the day that they donated wood? On the 10th of Av. And that year, Tisha B'Av fell out on Shabbos. So they pushed it to Motzei Shabbos, to Saturday night Sunday. We know that's what happens when the night of Av falls out on Shabbos. We push it off. One to Motzei Shabbos. 
says, And we started the fast, but we didn't finish the fast because we treated it as a proper yomtiv. Again, they would only be treating it as a proper yomtiv if they counted their wood donation as a proper korban. If it wasn't, then they would not. So this seems to refute Rabbi Yossi B'Shem Rabbi Lai's distinction. Again, the one opinion we had is, okay, we have a machloikes tanakame in, in our Mishnah. The, the, um, we have a machloikes tanakama and Rabbi Yossi. The tanakama holds, we never accept the private donation to the community because we're concerned that he will not give it over wholeheartedly. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says, no, if someone says, I'll do it on behalf of the community, we trust them. We assume that they're giving it over wholeheartedly and we let them do that voluntarily. Whereas the second opinion, Rabbi Yossi, B'Shem Rabbi Lai, came along and said, no, this that we have the Machlokes in our mission is by an actual Korban. But if it's not an actual Korban, if it's something like the wood or the Big Day Kahuna or something like that, that's auxiliary to the Korbanos, then we do take, we do accept it according to everyone. And we've just shown that no, not necessarily, even the wood would have been considered a yomtiv, and therefore the Tanakama would say, even regarding the wood, that you cannot accept it as a private donation. And therefore this, that they did accept it as a private donation, must be in line with Rabbi Yossi. Okay, now we go on to the next part of the mission. It says, We said all the communal offerings were accepted were bought with the shkolim, the true mashalishka, the, when they took out, they went into the chamber with all the shkolim, scooped it into three baskets, that's what it was used for. It says, All these, all private offerings can be with produce or animals that come from Eretz Yisrael, from this year's produce or from previous year's produce. Obviously, when we say Chodosh, we don't mean in the technical sense of Chodosh, because generally when we say Chodosh, we mean before the Omer offering or before the Shtalechem. You're not allowed to offer any Korbanos from the new produce, from the new grain, until Shvus, until the Shtalechem has been offered. So when it says Chodosh, it must mean this year's produce, obviously after the after Shavuos, or Mina Yoshon, and from the old produce. It's, Except for the Oimer offering and the Shtei HaLechem, they have to come from this year's grain and from Eretz Yisrael. Rav Chonob B'Shem Rebbe Yermet of Rebbe Yishmol, Rebbe Chonob B'Shem Rebbe says that must be Rebbe Yishmol. This that says, Chodosh, that the Oimer and the Shtei HaLechem must come from Eretz Yisrael is actually Rabbi Yishmol. The Rabbi Yishmol, Oimer, ain't Oimer bom in Assyria. Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmol says the Oimer cannot be bought from Syria. Well, Syria, we would generally translate as Syria. I think it's a slightly larger area than what we would call Syria. But I think it is a similar area. And that David HaMelech conquered. It never achieved the same Kedusha, the same degree as actual Eretz Yisrael. But it was considered... Uh, 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 raised above the rest of the Chutzla Oret. But what Rabbi Shmuel says, even from Syria you can't accept the grain for the Omer and the Shtar Lechem because it's not Eretz Yisrael proper. Obviously anywhere else in Chutzla Oret. Says Taman Taninan, we also learned over there, Ese Kedusha's Hain. There are ten levels of Kedusha. Eretz Yisrael, Makudesh, Esmikol, Artos. Eretz Yisrael is the holiest of all lands. Umahi Kedusha. So what's so sacred? about it, what's special, you can bring the Oimer, the Bikurim, the Shtalechem, from 
Eretz Yisrael, but not from any other land. Rabbi Chia, B'Shem Rabbi Yirmiya, to Rabbi Shmuel, he, to Rabbi Shmuel Omer, ain't bo, ain't a Omer bo min Asuria. Rabbi Rabbi Chia, Chana says in the name of Rabbi Yirmiya, this is also Rabbi Shmuel because Rabbi Shmuel's the opinion who says it cannot come from another land. Uh, we're going through interest, we're going to tie it all together, but basically there's a machlo. Um, I should have emphasized this at the beginning. There's a machlokes. Rabbi Shmuel holds these things have to come from Eretz Yisrael, not even Surya, and definitely not Chutz La'aretz outside uh, proper outside of Israel proper. Whereas the Chachamim hold they can come from Chutz La'aretz. Now Tananta Nina, Tananta Nina, we learned over there Rabbi Shmuel Omer Mach. Just as plowing is optional, even harvesting is um, is optional. What is this going on? So the positive tells us by Shabbos, you're not allowed to plow or harvest. Now, plowing is only ever optional. When is it ever a mitzvah to plow? Okay, and I can't be talking about Shabbos. must be talking about Shemitah. And we're trying to work out what's teaching us regarding Shemitah. But or even Shabbos, that it pushes. But when this says that you're not allowed to plow or harvest, we contrast harvesting with plowing. Plowing is always only rishus. It's always only um, um, optional. It's never a mitzvah. So to the harvesting we're speaking about must also be optional. Yotzok katsira oimer shehu mitzvah. This is excluding the harvesting of the oimer, which is actually a mitzvah. Harvesting the Omer is a mitzvah. He says, so you would be allowed to harvest it in the Shemitah year. This is how um, I, I use, I've been using quite extensively this commentary of uh, Rav Chaim Kanievsky. He has, uh, he has a running commentary of, uh, um, of this Masechta. I think he actually has it on a lot of Yerushalmi. But yeah, I'll just read what he says. Rabbi Shmuel Darish Leila Hatik Katsiras Omer Bishfiyas. Rabbi Shmuel expounds this psukim to allow harvesting the Omer offering in Shviyas. The ilu Katsira Lehejot Lo Shari Ela Bishinui Umaat Maat. Regarding harvesting for a private individual or for a regular purpose, I not the mitzvah. In the Shviyas year, in the Shmita year, you would only be able to harvest in an unusual manner with a shinui, and not only that, only little by little. Not in the normal way of harvesting. But regarding the Omer, you would be allowed to do harvesting for the Omer. You would be allowed to do it in all ways. Again, it's also to harvest during Shviyas, the Shemitah year. But for the Omer, Rabbi Shmuel learns that you can do it in any, any way. Now, Rabbi Shmuel Kataite, this fits in with Rabbi Shmuel's opinion. Rabbi Shmuel holds that the Omer cannot be brought from Surya. Now remember, again, if you could bring the Omer offering from produce that was grown in Surya, in the land next to Eretz Yisrael, well then the law of Shemitah doesn't apply there. So that you wouldn't have to override Shemitah to get your grain. You could just go to the neighboring country and get your grain from there. Must be like Rabbi Shmuel says, it has to come from Eretz Yisrael. Oh, but you can't harvest in the Shemitah year. That's what the Apostle is coming to teach us. And then he says, and Kedaitei, it lines up with his opinion. It excludes the Ketira Omer of the, of the, which is a mitzvah. I, again, when the Apostle says you're not allowed to plow or harvest in the Shemitah year, it's connecting harvesting to plowing, just as plowing is always only optional. So to harvesting is all, this that it's also to harvest is only optional. But, or, um, 
um, is only optional. So, 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 but where it's for the mitzvah, like harvesting for the Omer, then it would be permitted. Again, you only, this would only be necessary according to Rabbi Shmuel, because Rabbi Shmuel is the one who holds, you can't bring the Omer from outside of Eretz Yisrael, and therefore you're running into this conflict. So the Shemitah year applies this year, how are we going to harvest our grain for the Omer? Must be, that's what the Apostle is coming to teach us, you can. But according to the Chachomim who hold that, the, you can bring the Omer from outside of Eretz Yisrael, well then you would have no problem. So now the Gomorrah goes back to our Mishnah, it says, uh, Ma Antana, who's the author of our Mishnah, which said, Those who guard the Sfichin in the Shemitah year can take their wages from the Truma Halishka. Again, remember the Truma Halishka was only used for public communal, for communal offerings. This person who in the Shemitah year is guarding aftergrowth. Remember, aftergrowth is it grows in the field automatically because of a little bit of grain that gets left in the ground or falls onto the ground when harvesting from last year. In the Shemitah year, there's very little bit of that. You're allowed to. Um, but we see that they would send someone to make sure by a certain field that you could... Um, Um, you would make sure that you could, that, that someone would guard it to make sure that they could go and use those sfichin, those grains, for the Omer offering. Now, if you held that the Omer could be brought from outside of Eretz Yisrael, again, why would you need to pay someone to watch this grain growing in Eretz Yisrael and make sure no one takes it? Just make sure that, just go get grain from the next, from the next door country. Import some grain. Must be it's Rabbi Shmuel who holds no, it has to be brought from grain grown in Eretz Israel. Rabbi Shmuel, he must be Rabbi Shmuel. So, again, what's been emphasized through all these pieces, and now we've tied it back to our Mishnah, is that when is it essential to bring, um, according to Rabbi Shmuel, you have for the Omer offering and the Shtalechem, the grain has to come from produce grown in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, in the Shemitah year, you run into complications because we would have thought you're not allowed to harvest. You're not allowed to guard grain. So, therefore, how can you do it? And um, just an interesting point, as I said, um, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky raises here. He says, is wait. Um, so, let me just confirm that I got this clear. Yeah, we just learned that if someone, um, a, a korban, strictly speaking, let me just change, and I'll come back to that later. So let's. So, so that's why we're coming on and forced to say our mission is actually Rabbi Shmuel, because again, why else would it be essential to guard the grain because it's because there's so little, because it's Shemitah year, just get someone to just import it where Shemitah doesn't apply. I'm Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef says, no, it's actually everyone's opinion, it's not just Rabbi Yishmael. No, they would, even according to the Chachomim, they would pay someone to watch after growth that they could use for the Omer, in case they didn't manage to import grain from, from Syria. What happens if the grain there is growing late? or well, there's a famine, and they're not going to be able to get grain in time for the Omer offering or the Shtalechem. Therefore, um, they would still get somewhere to guard it. Now we're going to take it the next step. So we've just learned that you can push aside the Shemitah year 
to harvest grain for the Omer and the Shtei So the Gemara asks, Can you sow it? Is it specifically planting or even sowing? So Rabbi Chia Bar Ada, Boy Kumi Rabbi Mono, Rabbi Chia Bar Abba asked this question before Rabbi Mono. He says, Wait, but is this not the same as separating a a coimate on leftovers that cannot be eaten. Generally, if a korban is supposed to be eaten, like a mincha offering, what happens with a mincha offering and the omer offering as well? The coin takes a kamitza, he takes a kamitza, and he puts that, burns that kamitza on the mizbah, and the rest of the mincha offering is eaten by the kohanim. If, let's say, those that left over the remains become tome or invalid, if the kamitza has not yet been burned, you can't burn it. So we should say the same thing here. If someone would plant the grain for the Omer offering in the Shemitah year, you would not be allowed to eat it because we know any grain or land that was worked in the Shemitah year you know, it becomes also to eat. So it granted, you might say it could be offered. The, the, so therefore, what would it be? It would, those Shirayim, the Kani would not be allowed to eat. So it would be an invalid offering. So, so therefore, that should be the answer. You should not be allowed to plant the grain for the, for the Omer offering in the Shemitah year, because then you won't be allowed to eat from the leftovers of that Mincha. He says, no, this would be like the five things that come in Tumah and you're not allowed to eat in Tumah, i.e., certain communal offerings as we learned in remember in Maseches Psochim we learned you offer the Koban Pesach you offer communal offerings even if they're Tomei the Koban Pesach you're allowed to eat if they're Tomei but other communal offerings that you offer when Tomei you can't eat so this would be the same thing it would be an Omer offering that you could um, let's assume you could plant it the Kohanim would not be allowed to eat from the offering but it would still be a valid offering that's the suggestion yeah. on this um, the Bure um, of Chaim Kanievsky points out that wait. Um, if you have grain that is guarded in the Shemitah year, you're not allowed to eat it. Uh, we've just said, what's our, what's our assertion why you should not be allowed to plant grain for the Omer? Let's say you're really concerned. There's not going to be enough grain of that year's produce for the Omer offering. Now comes along Rabbi um, Rebbe, um, the Gomorrah, and it says, well, you're going to run into trouble if you plant grain because then you're not allowed to eat it. And if you have a mincha that the Kanim are not allowed to eat the remains, it's an invalid mincha. So he says, but wait, earlier on we learned that our Mishnah says you pay someone to guard it. If you guard your land in Shemitah, if you protect certain produce, ah, you say it's not hefker, it becomes also to eat. So don't we have the problem there? So it's a Rabbeinu Tam, he brings from Tosos that Rabbeinu Tam answer very interestingly. He says, no, it wasn't a normal guard. Generally, when I guard my field, I set up a fence. I set up, even if there's no fence, I'm going to watch it. And anyone who tries to come and take it, I'll uh, sue them for trespassing and I'll scare them away. He says, in this case, the, the God who we discuss in our Mishnah, who makes sure that no one takes these aftergrowth, he's actually not doing it by force. 
what his job is to do that, anyone who comes to take the grain, he basically dissuades them. He says, you know, this grain is really hefker, and I know you're allowed to take it, but we were planning on using it for the Omer offering. Do you still want to take it, or do you want to leave it for the Omer offering? And basically, any Jew who's faced with that option, can I, should I take this grain for myself, or should I leave it for the Omer offering, would choose to leave it for the Omer offering. But not that, the secure, that this security guard would actually stop you taking it. He just tells you what you want, what they want to use it for, and therefore it's not really considered guarded. Okay, so now the Gemara says, Kate said, who I said, how do you pay, how do you pay this worker? Right? So you have this person who's standing guard of the Schmidt approaches. How do you pay him? What's the complication? Is remember, these shekels are kodosh. They're for the base amigdash. Now, generally, if I'm buying an actual object, so when I give you money for the object, the kadusha transfers from the money onto the object. So the object becomes kadosh, but the money that I've given you becomes chulin, becomes non-sacred. So let's say I need a, I need a, a bowl for the Beis Amikdash, or let's say I need an animal for the Beis Amikdash. So I take the shkolim, or the hegdesh money, and I pay you. The money becomes deconsecrated, and the item I bought, the, the Kedusha transfers to that. But when someone does a service, like this person who's standing guard, What's, where's the Kedusha going to go? What's it transferring to? So, so how do you do this? So he says, How do you borrow money from, the, from a banker? And you give it to those who are going to harvest the grain and to those who are um, guarding it. Before the Omer offering is bought. And then you take money from the Lishka and transfer the money, the Kedusha from the money onto the Omer offering, onto that grain. And that's how you do it. So you basically you'd borrow money from the banker to pay this worker. You would then take money from the chamber and use that to buy the grain or transfer the Kedusha from the money onto the grain for the Omer offering. And then you'd use that money that's now non-sacred to pay the banker back. It says, oh, but Tobes Cain, is this okay? Why? Oh, why is it not okay? Because if you think about it, this guy's worked for a few months guarding this grain. Maybe not even a few months, but however long he's guarded the grain, he's had to guard a whole field of svichin, and all he's getting paid for, all the Omer is worth is what, a, a little bit of grain, an Omer offering of grain. It's a huge amount of wheat that they would take to get the finest, finest, best quality flour. So it's a little bit of flour. So if you, the money you're transferring to is not equal, the, the Omer is tiny, and it's not equal to the value. It says, says, no, the money that they would give and agree to pay is its value from the initial time. I either, there are two ways that I understood this. The one is that they would work out what would the Omer be worth, and that's what they agreed to pay this Shomer. Or the other way I'm understanding it is the Omer is worth what it costs to manufacture it, which also makes it. If it costs, the labor costs are included in the value of the Omer, of the flour used for the Omer. If it's very expensive to get that flour, well, then the cost of the flour will be expensive, and that's what you pay the worker. If the 
cost to get that. I mean, this is the if I think I don't want to get too. Uh, I don't want to uh, my what's it my. Uh, my view on economics and how they work, but this is the danger with the minimum wage: is a product costs X to X to manufacture. Included is that is the expenses. If the expenses to manufacture the product are so high, well then no one's going to want to buy that product, and you might as well close the factory. So, so to yeah, the expenses to make this special grain, especially in the Schmitter year, are high. So the grain is worth more. So that's what the worker will get paid. Um, and that's why it is fair value. And we're going to say similarly, and another example where this applies is Tana after Pischei Avonim came, so too with the stone workers. Because generally the stone workers would hew out stones and then they would take them to the base of Mikdash and build the wall. Says, but Kate Sadu say, how do you pay those workers? That you, they're not doing anything specifically tangible. You take, you borrow money from the bankers and you use that to pay the hewers and the cut, the stone cutters before that's put in the building. Once it's placed in the building, you take the money and you transfer it from, you use, you then make the stones kodosh. You transfer them, the kadusha from the money onto the stones. Um, Rav Chaim Kanievsky again points out, he says this was important to do because remember, if the workers are busy working with the stones, they're going to lean on them, they're going to lean on the wall while they're building, and that's me'ila, that's getting benefit from temple property. So they would actually keep the stone and the wall chulin until it was already built. Then they would transfer the kadusha from the money onto the stone wall, and they would use that money to pay back the banker who paid the workers for building the for hewing the stones and building the wall. It says, um, they bring money from the Trumas Halishka and transfer it onto it. But Tovas came in. Oh, is that fair? Think of how much work goes into making stones and how many stones some, some of the bricks crack. We know when you're buying tiles or bricks for a wall, you have to buy much more than, you, than the actual number of bricks that go into the wall because of some that break and some you have to cut in half, etc. So, so do the stone workers. It's not going to work out fair. So, it says, Rebi Yoisi, um, just as we said before, um, the amount that they give, that they agree to pay the workers, is what the value of the bricks would be. Right, so they're not going to charge more. They're going to only give, be giving the value of the bricks, and therefore it's not um, that they're transferring a small amount of bricks onto a lot of money. Okay, new Mishnah. Um, so the Mishnah says, we're continuing with the list of things you'd buy with the actual shkolim, that, the truma, the shkolim that are taken from the lishka, from the chambers into the basket. It says, Poro, the red heifer, the seira mishtalech, the goat that is sent to Azazel. I remember on Yom Kippur, part of the avoid was taking a goat to a cliff and throwing it off. The loshon shel zahiris, and the strip of red wool, wool which was used to throw into the fire when burning the poradum as part of the procedure. Bought in Mitrumas Alishka, they're also bought from the Trumas Alishka. The novelty here is that none of these things are actual korbanos. Remember, the Paraduma, granted, it's called a chattas. It Well, that's the reason that it can be called, considered a korban, but it was burnt on the Harazesim, on the Mount of Olives. It wasn't burnt by the base of Midah. It wasn't offered on the thing. It was burnt and used to purify people who became Tomei. The Seira Mishtalech also wasn't offered on the Mizbech. It was taken to Azazel and thrown off the cliff. And the Losh and Shilzahir is again used in the Paraduma. Keves. Para, 
the ramp for the Paratuma, the Keves Seira Mishtalach, and the ramp for the Seira Mishtalach. I'll come back and explain what they are shortly. The Loshon Shebein Karnov, and the red wool between its horns, the Amasamayim, and the stream running through the base of Midash, the walls of Yerushalayim and its fortifications, the Koltzorcheir, and all the needs of the city, either roads and etc. Boin Mishure Halishka, Boin Mishure Halishka, are brought from what's left over in the chamber. I, after they've taken the Truma, then they would. There would be money after they would take the truma and put it in the baskets to use for the communal offerings. It would be left over. That's the shuri That's all the above uses. Abashol or merkeves para kohanim gedolim oisim yishal atzmon. The keves para the kohanim gedolim would use their own. Would make with. Would build themselves from their own funds. Just one, two points. Well, yeah, to explain some of these and one point. Well, how can you use the machatzis shekel? Okay, granted, it's the ones that aren't that are left over for Yerushalayim. Shouldn't they be for the temple? So the answer, the ex one answer given is no. Yerushalayim is an extension of the temple, as we know. You can eat certain sacrifices there. I think I say this point later on. Um, the second um, point: What's this ramp for the paratuma? So one of the parts of the paradigm they used to make sure that the person who was doing it was Tomei to exclude from the Tzitukim who learned that it who said that it had that he had to be Tahar. So Rabbanu wanted to show that that's not true. We don't pass we don't make their drosha. Therefore he can be Tomei. But to compensate for that, they went and they said that um, to compensate for that. They went and said that the rest of the Avoid Operatum must be done in perfect purity. So when transporting the people who would move, transporting the Paraduma, they would walk along bridges in case there was someone, a, a mace buried under the road. And we know the, the Tumor goes up. So if you have a bridge, you have airspace between the ground and the bridge, so the Tumor will only rise up to the bridge and not above the bridge. But there's still a concern that there might be Tumor under one of the bridge supports, one of the pillars supporting the bridge, and then we go up to above and carry on up to the scar, because remember that the tumors only stop goes it only stops going up when there's oil, when there's airspace, and then this thing. So they would build a second bridge with supports in different places to the original to the supports of the first bridge, so that there's definitely an airspace above any tumor that could be under the road, and that's how they would. Um, that's that's how it protect the keves uh, protect from tumor, and the keves It seems that people, especially Bavlom, used to harass the goat because it was taken to atone for their sins. So they used to harass it, so they built a ramp so that they couldn't reach it or interfere with it. Moisar shurei halishka. What would they do with the left after they had used the remains in the chamber for all the above, the building of Yerushalayim? The upkeep of Yishlam, etc. What would they do with the money? What would they do with it? Bishmol says they would buy wine, oil and flour and trade in it and use the money for the base Amikdash. We'll see in the next piece what they would use the money for. Rabbi Akiva says we do not make a business out of Hegdash and we also don't make a business out of poor out of tzedakah. 
the one answer that fits very well with both, the one explanation fits very well with both of them is there's a concern there'll be a loss. If you start trading with their money that's supposed to go to poor people or supposed to go to the base metrics, what happens if you make a loss? You'll have caused a loss to them, so that's a serious problem. Now the Moisar Hegdash, it's also degrading for the base metrics. What, you're going to start a side business with things that were donated to the temple, etc. It just doesn't, it's a little bit of, it's, it's degrading, so therefore you wouldn't do that. Moisar Hatruma. What would you do with the leftover of the truma? Remember, again, this is what's in the baskets that they would specifically put in the baskets to buy the communal offerings. So, what would they do with it? So, they made gold plates to cover the Kodesh HaKadoshim in. Rabbi Yishmol says, no, that's what they would do with the leftovers of the business deal. Remember, Yishmol was the one who said that the base of Mingdash could run the side business. So, that's what they would do with, they would use that money. Sorry, Rabbi Shmuel, Omer Moisar Aperus with the leftover money that they made from the business they would buy for Ketam Isbach. Ketam Isbach, we're going to see a few times now, but that is the, if there were no Korbanas that needed to be offered on the Mizbach, they would offer voluntary offerings. And that's what's referred to the dessert of the Mizbach, keeping it busy, keeping the, the Mizbach eating. So that's what they would use, the, the money that they made out of their business venture, they would use that. And Moisa Truma, the Klishores. And the leftover Truma would be for the Klishores to buy service vessels. Because they are auxiliary, they're essential to the Korbanos, so that they could be included in the Korban. Rabbi Kiva, Oime, Moisa Truma, the Ketam Mizbach. Rabbi Akiva says, no, the Moisa Truma, what's left over in the baskets, must be used for the Ketam Mizbach. And his logic would be, those are actual Korbanos. Moisa Nesochim, the leftovers from the Nesochim, which are then sold, the Klishores were used to buy the service vessels. Another opinion, Rabbi Hanin, Yeskana, Goim, Oime, Moisa Nesochim, Ketam Mizbach. The left over Nesochim. I, if let's say they had bought too much flour or wine or something, they would then sell, sell those leftovers and that would be used for Kate's on Mizbech. Again, the logic behind this is that those were supposed to be burnt on the Mizbech and they weren't. So what do you buy? You buy Korbanos that are going to be burnt on the Mizbech with it. Moisa Truma, the Klishores and the leftover Trumas go to the Klishores. But it comes out, neither of them agree regarding to Rabbi Shmuel regarding the payros. Again, Rabbi Shmuel was the one who had this profit that he that the business used that, that the base midrash could run a business on the side. So there would be this profit and he Rabbi Shmuel says with that profit you buy Kate Sam is back. Neither Rabbi Hananias Kanakoin or Rabbi Akiva agree that this is a viable option. Okay, let's go into the Gomorrah. So it says Keves Paravahulu. Okay, all these things that you would buy and then it says, um, and you'd also buy the gold, the red wool. It says, Rabbi Shmuel bar, bar Nachman b'shem Rabbi Yonasan gimel l'shonasan. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachman says there were actually three times and three different red uh, strips of wool or red belts of wool that you needed. One was the shelsa ear for this goat that they would throw off. Azazel Basella, you needed a seller amount of wool. The reason you needed that amount of wool is that they had to cut it in half. They would tie half to a rock a rock on the cliff and half to the, the horns of the goat. When they pushed the goat off the cliff, they would look at the one on the rock above the cliff and see if it turned white. So that's why you need a seller. Shelmatsoira Beshekel 
shell para sloim. The Mitzorah, again, in his purification process, he also needed some red wool to sprinkle the blood of his one korban on him. Um, and that was only a shekel. You only need a little bit of red wool. So just a small weight of red wool. Shell para. And the amount of wool that you needed for the cow, for the burning of the para duma, sloim had to be two sellers. And the reason is it had to be heavy enough that when you threw it into the fire, it went down into the fire. If the wool's very light, it's going to float hover above the flower fire and burn before it gets into the fire. So that's why you needed stay slow and you needed a heavy amount of it. Rebi Khunya Divart Khavrin Rebi Bo Barzab the Bashem Rebi Shumin Khalapta Shell Pora Bishtay Slow He says actually for the Pora burning of the Pora Duma it needed to be two and a half seller. The East Maki Lishna Basarazus, some say they instead of using the language of two sloim and a half, they use ten zuz, which is actually the exact same amount. Um, Rav Chaim Kanievsky points out the reason is, it's just, um, was it him? I don't remember who pointed out, but the, the reason is because they had they were particular to say over the teaching in the way their Rebbe said it. So one said, I heard it in as two and a half sellers, and the other one says, oh, I heard it as ten zuz, but it's the exact same amount. Okay, now the all other uses, we're now going to go into other uses for the Shure Halishka. Again, the Shure Halishka, the money, after they had taken out money into the baskets for the communal offerings, what did they do with the rest of the money in the chamber? So we've seen some of those uses, we're now going to see more. The Tamidei Chachomim who used to teach the Kohanim how to do the Shechita, how to do the Kabbalah, the receiving of the blood, how to sprinkle the blood, etc. They would be paid from the Trumas Halishka, from what was not the actual Trumas Halishka, but from the leftovers. Those who used to have to check the korbonos to make sure that they didn't have mums would also be paid from the leftover truma in the lishka. Left over from the Truma Alishka. Rabbi Achabar Tanchum Barchia Beshem Rabbi Simlai, Magia Sefer Azora, Noitlin Scharan, Mitrumas Halishka. Those who checked the Sefer in the courtyard used to take their schar from the Trumas Halishka. What's the Sefer Azor of the Hazorah? So there are a few opinions. One is. It's what the, there was a special Sefer Torah that the Kohen Godel used to read from on Yom Kippur, or the, the king used to read from when he did Hakel. And that Sefer Torah, to make sure it was in order, the scribe who was in charge of correcting it and keeping it in good order would be paid from the Trumas Alishka. A second explanation is that um, they had a Sefer Torah in the temple courtyard that they used to make sure was a, that was of impeccable accuracy. You know, we say that there's certain mistakes that have crept in or certain Sefer Torah might not be. That one was impeccable accuracy and they used the person had a specific job of upkeeping it that's who we're talking about that's who would be paid with this money and then another opinion a third possibility is that it's actually people were paid to go around to towns and individuals and make sure their Sifre Torah were accurate I what would it would be a communal fund this Moisa uh, this uh, Shure Halishka, Trumas Halishka, Shurei Trumas Halishka, would be to find scribes to go around and check all the Sifrei Torah, like in all the shuls and all the personal and all the individuals' homes. The two judges 
who were fixed regarding Knesset, I used to judge um, civil cases, would take their schar from the Trumas Halishka. Shmuel Amar Noshim Haroikas Papar. The woman who would weave the paroiches, the curtain that hung between the sanctuary and the holy of holies, they were paid from the moisa trumas from the leftover shirei trumas halishka. Rabbi Choyna Omar, mitrumas bere kabais. No, they were paid from the from money collected for temple upkeep. Remember, up till here we've specifically been discussing the shekels. Remember what to do with the shekels and what do you do with the leftover shekels, etc. That's what we've been discussing from here. But there was another collection. People used to donate money or objects specifically for temple upkeep. So Shmuel's Rebbe Chana says the, the woman who used to weave the curtain wouldn't get paid from the leftover shekel. It's part of the temple building. So they would get paid from the berekabais, from the specific fund for the upkeep, from the building fund. Ma Poli, what's the argument? Shmuel Ovid like a korban. Shmuel viewed that paroiches, that curtain, or making the curtain as a korban. Rav Huna Ovid Kabinian, and Rav Huna considered it like part of the Beisamikdash. Hey, Omar Rav Chizkiah, Tana Rabbi Yehuda, Gad Gadois. Rav Chizkiah said that Rav Yehuda Gad, um, taught in the name of Rav Yehuda Gad Gadois. Hakatoris for Kolpanos Hatsibur Boim Mitrumas Halishka. The incense offering and all the communal offering came from the money separated from the chamber, either actual shekels that they would put in the basket. Mizbeach Hazov the Kolkli Sharis Boimim Moisar Nesochim. The what was needed for the golden altar. And all temple vessels would come from the Moisar Nesochim, the leftovers of the Nesochim. That's like in the Mishnah we learned, that's a contrary Akiva. Again, remember, the base Amigdash would buy wine and flour, etc. for the offerings. If there was leftover, Rabbi Akiva says that was used for vessels in the temple. And that's what he just says, Rabbi Yehuda, good God, says. What about the upkeep of the outer altar, the, the offering altar, and the sanctuary and the courtyard, that point, I'm going to change um, the girsa to make it easier, Milishkas Berek Habayis, from the, temp, the specific fund for temple upkeep. Chutzla Azoras, boyin Mishurei Halishka. Outside of the temple courtyards, i.e. the rest of Yerushalayim, would come from what was left over in the chamber. Again, they would draw the shekels into the baskets. They would use what was left behind for a whole lot of uses. And part of that was the, the, the upkeep of Yerushalayim. How can the temple funds be used to upkeep Yerushalayim? So remember, in a way, Yerushalayim is an extension of the temple because you were allowed to eat certain korbonos, etc. in Yerushalayim. It had a kedusha, and therefore it could still be used. Um, now it says, Vohar... Tani Avne Yerushalayim. This that we taught that the stones of Yerushalayim, Mualin Bohem, you transgress Me'ila if you get benefit from them. That can't be because there's there's no Me'ila with what is left over in the um, in the Lishka. Aye, if they took the money that they needed from the Lishka, the kedushas on that money, the money left behind, isn't sacred anymore. So Elak Rebbe Meir, nah, it's like Rebbe Meir. To Omar Rebbe Meir, Rebbe Meir says, Malin b'Shirayim, you do transgress Meila with the Shirayim, with the leftovers. 
because we learned earlier, Rabbi Meir says, you, what happens if they put money into the baskets and they run out of that money and they still need to buy more communal offerings? They're allowed to go back into the Lishka. So we see that the money in the chamber, the Shkolim in the chamber, still had Kedusha. That's Rabbi Meir. says, no, this that Rabbi Meir says, this point is specifically in the year that they Shkolim. So this is from the follow. This is from after the year. Even Rabbi Meir would agree. Sorry, this we establish this as after the year. I Rabbi May also holds that this that is Meila is only when it's Shkolim from that year, but if it's the next year, remember the Shkolim the next year totally use their Kedusha, you have to use new Shkolim, that's why we collect Shkolim every Nisan. There's no Meila, so that price cannot be. Like Rabbi Man, therefore it's a kasha on you, Rabbi Yehuda, um, good godos. Again, Rabbi Yehuda, good godos said that is um, that the leftover shkolim, the leftover shkolim were used for the upkeep of Yerushalayim. But we have a brayser which says that there's meila if you get benefit from the stones of Yerushalayim, which if if they were used from the shiurei halishka, there would be no kedusha. So Amir Rabbi Chizkia. Tana, Rabbi Yehuda, good Godios, Hashulcha. Um, so we leave it, and we seem to leave it as a question. Now we bring a new point, a similar teach, another teaching of Rabbi Yehuda, good Godos. Omer Rabbi Chizkiah, Tana, Rabbi Yehuda, good Godos, Hashulcha. If you don't have the Shulchan, or the Menorah, or the Mizbeth, or the curtain between the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies, the korban, they're essential to the korbanos. That's Rabbi Meir's opinion. The only thing that in, that's essential is the kior, the wash basin and its base. Others change this to the karkor v'keren, parts of the mizbeach, not the actual bivad. So we have a machloikes here. Rabbi Meir says all these vessels, if you don't have them in the base hamikdash, the korbanos are invalid. And the chachomim say... No, specifically the cure of Hakain. Says Velo Kain, that's not true. Omer Bilaz, Omer Biyosi ben Chanina, Trey Hon, Omerinan, Kol Hain Dilsiv, Noichach, Maake, Sela Ena Maake. Any time it's said regarding the temple vessel, Noichach, it must be opposite, then it's essential. If it uses the phrase Tsela on the side or next to, then it's not essential. Um, What's um, it's for example by the menorah it says for esha menorah tita noicha chashulchan the menorah must be placed opposite the shulchan so oh by the menorah it says noicha this must be essential by the shulchan it says vashulchan tita altselatzofan on the north side so the shulchan would not be essential the menorah would be the shulchan would not according to this version. In the name of Rabbi Yonah says, I feel even what's on the side. For and Rabbi Ila said the name of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman, I feel even if it uses the word sima, either Aaron and the Paroiches, it's essential. But now this doesn't fit in. All these opinions are Amoraim and they seem to argue on the main Kalim we learned. Rabbi Meir gave us a list of what was essential. Rabbanan said only the cure and the cane. The cure, the wash basin, and its base are essential. And now we have a whole list of Amoraim who argue on that and give their own definitions. 
So he says, no, Omri Bichanina can be avoided shebifnim. The one is regarding the avoided bifnim and can be avoided shebichutz. I, the Chachomim agree that regarding the avoided shebifnim, the service that's done in the sanctuary, like with the golden mizbech, etc., the, all these things are essential. Whereas this that they say, only the kira and the kano are essential, that's specifically avoided shebichutz, that is regarding the service that was done by the altar, altar, the altar mizbeach. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.